I do not think you should Either. be meeting donors. There had to be some way to execute this where it would be completely private and maybe it gets found out for eight years sure. from now. The guy also has to be single day now is just how much gosh darn attention is being paid to the son of the current guy, Every the hunter, who does nothing laptop, in politics, about, has no role in his dad's administration, never worked for his dad when he was a senator, or certainly now as president, and yet every day we have hundreds of Republicans spouting BS about Hunter Biden. While those same people at the exact same time, right-wing media included, ignore largely the scandals and nepotism and corruption of Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, who together did yeah. work in the White House. Ivanka worked for their dad's business, and Wait. while working as public servants, enriched themselves to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's why today is really interesting, because we have a few examples. One from a source you might normally expect, but two from Fox News, staring into Jared and Ivanka for being the corrupt, lying frauds that they are, as well as people that don't understand politics, and were, the decisions that they made were dumb, even in comparison to some of the other dum-dums in the Trump White House. Listen to this first clip, which tears into Jared in particular, but also the political novices, which implicitly includes Ivanka. So it was very interesting that uh, Mike Pompeo, by the way, uh, the president wrote a letter to Facebook saying, it's been a year, put me back on. And then Twitter, when they said come back on, he said, no, I'm going to keep my powder dry. Facebook is necessary. He used Facebook, and you would know better than anybody, in 2016 and 2020 uh, pretty effectively, right? We did, Brian, and I have to say, even looking back at 2016, we were under-resourced and under-staffed. Being able to post a lot of information, but also just to buy ads on Google, on YouTube, on Facebook, made the difference. We rolled the dice, and we did something a serious presidential campaign had never done, which is we committed half of our resources, roughly half of our resources, to traditional television ads, and another half to online ads. Um, it, is, it is one of those cases of necessity is the mother of invention, because uh, we didn't have the same resources at all, but it paid off, and I think uh, most people are not watching television ads. They, they're on Netflix, they're on Apple TV, they're watching stuff on their phone, as you know. They're streaming, and so this was a smart... Yeah. Uh, to replace Mike Pence. Do you know anything about this? 
I sure do. That is true that there were people trying to get rid of Mike Pence off the ticket beginning in like 2018 or so. It's such a fool's errand in so many ways. And I do just wish that Ambassador Haley uh, had been more strong and more public, more resolute and more public. Just saying, please don't talk about that. We have so much work to do here at the UN where she was the ambassador for less than two years. Um, and I wish she just said that. And also, it would have been such a mistake to try to replace my sense of ticket. I used to tell President Trump and when these rumors were circulating when a friend of his placed an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about it, much to my surprise. And I told the President straight on, you know who will punish you for that if you get rid of my sense of ticket? Women. Because we women, we're used to being replaced by other women. Women are not going to like that at all, Mr. President. Um, but I also thought it was so naive from some of the political novices, uh, like Jared Kushner that I work with in the White House, to, to actually think, well, let's just get rid of the vice president that, that was, the other, was the other half of the ticket. But frankly, Brian, helped bring a lot to the table as somebody with strong ties to the evangelical movement who had been in Congress for 12 years, right. uh, 8 or 10 years of which on the Foreign Affairs Committee, and had been governor of Indiana. Uh, he brought so much to that ticket. When you have a winning ticket, you stick with it. This whole idea, let's just get a woman, get a woman, get a woman. You know who did that? One Joe Biden did. Ticket. They lost so look, I don't think Kelly and Carl Wayne is a genius, but this idea that you were going to replace Mike Pence in the run-up to 2020, I think that really would have been dumb. Like, I'm not a Pence fan, but it's very clear that he was uh, part of Trump's victory and built the coalition that Trump had, and getting rid of him, even for somebody like a Haley or whatever, would have been a disastrous pick. And apparently, like noted, it was being pushed by Jared Kushner and the other political novices, which then may not include Ivanka, but again, it certainly includes Jared. And it really demonstrates, guys, how these people were put into these positions of power with literally zero years of high-level political experience and expected to make decisions in both political and economic and health terms that affected the lives of hundreds of millions. And because the United States is so powerful, it affected the lives of people all over the world, billions of people. And that was Jared and Ivanka being put in this position and it shows the difference. You know, Kellyanne Conway defends Trump a lot, but that's a criticism of Trump is how he, you know, Hunter Biden is just some guy. Joe Biden's not making him his key advisor. So even if you don't like Hunter, Hunter's not driving your foreign and domestic policy. Hunter's not helping to pick the next VP. He's not deciding whether Joe Biden's going to turf Kamala or not. Like, these things aren't happening, right? And we get to an even more direct attack. Because there you see a Fox News guest, and, and Kennedy does nothing to defend Jared there. Sits back and lets the, the, then lets the beatdown happen. But then we get to a really good shot at them. Directly comparing Hunter and, you know, the, the Ivanka and Jared. Where you don't even have to defend Hunter Biden and what he may or may not have done to acknowledge that there is no comparison. And they're saying it even on Fox. What I'm saying, uh, yeah. Uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. Clearly, Ron Johnson had no plan for that obvious question that was going to come at him. Republicans needed, like, take a beat here and think about this. If you're going to go after Hunter Biden, if you're going to go after the Biden family, you cannot turn a blind eye to the complete, transparent conflicts of interest that littered the entire Trump White House. Hunter Biden never served a minute 
than the West Wing and the federal government ever. Meanwhile, Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, they were serving in the West Wing while making millions of dollars. There's a lot of questions there, and people deserve answers. It's not, it's not going up his nose, it's going out his mouth. So, maybe this is, sorry, you gotta stop, you got somebody's gonna put their foot down. Where's Dr. Jill? He's got enough money to rent a very fancy house. I think it's in Venice Beach, California, Jessica, and also drive around in a Porsche Panamera, which he was cruising around in when he did the interview last year on the campaign trail. Yeah. <laughs> so Juan Biden had some money, and we've done an investigation into when Joe Biden intervened, intervened with Burisma, and it actually ended up hurting the company more than helping it. But I want to talk about the fact that, A, I do not think he should be meeting donors. There had to be some way to execute this where it would be completely private, and maybe get found out for eight years ago. From now, the guy also has to be able to work, and you can insult his art. Though Jesse, I think, is going to buy a few pieces. Wait a second! I thought he was this international businessman with all of these skills with regards to not progress. But is it something that doesn't conflict with the White House? This really conflicts with the White House. I really want to say this part: we cannot have this conversation and completely ignore the fact that Trump children. Ivanka and Jared, according to the Citizens for Ethics Investigation, made hundreds of millions of dollars while they were serving in government posts. Ivanka got done. No, Jesse, don't put your hands up. She got dozens of trademarks, including three yes, preliminary trademarks. trademarks. We got a dozen. She ate with Xi Jinping. She's at my office. Yes. Yes. This for two decades. He just started going on. Are you kidding me? The healthy career is like, oh, I'm sorry, my fancy shoes. We got I had dinner with Xi Jinping, and then I so in that first short clip, just showing like this, this stuff's not working. The American people, one, don't care about Hunter Biden scandals. They really don't. I really don't think they do. And and even if they did, it's irrelevant because Hunter is just some guy. He is a guy who happens to be related to the president. Doesn't even live in the White House. It's not like it's the president's you know seventeen year old child where they're a member of the actual White House family. Like. You know, they, they, I don't know how much time they spent together, to be honest. And whereas Jared and Ivanka were working in the White House. And so when everyone with scandals about this and the, the art and uh, selling influence and selling the family name, where you literally have that happening, you literally have all these deals happening, you know, these, these deals that can only be done through nepotism and corruption. I'm just glad to see that even on Fox, every once in a while, they can call out parts of Trump's family for being corrupt and nepotistic because that's the real story. Again, the story is the Trump family. They're the ones that run a big family corporation that's been declared a criminal enterprise. They're the ones all on trial for civil crimes in New York, you know, getting sued for hundreds of millions. They're the ones that either work for Daddy's campaign or his White House or both. There's no other comparison here. Ignore Hunter, and if you do focus on anybody's kids, focus on Trump's three adult kids, in particular, Ivanka, Eric, and Don Jr. That's where you need to look at the question. Jared, too, of course. Right, yeah. Exactly. $2.5 billion from the Saudis. Where, yeah, where did that come from? Let's see here. Ex-CIA agent reveals how to end human trafficking. Valuetainment channel. Let's see what this is about. I have a prediction for you for your net worth, your 
assets. 2023 is going to be very, very... Yeah, the CIA is not a bunch of shooters running around picking locks and climbing up the side of the building, but it didn't have enough people who could operate in those types of environments to coaching from military special ops That's how I got there. What is the business model of human trafficking that's attracting so many people to want to go do profits? This is strictly a money play. The misconception is that all human traffickers are men and that it's not the Women. We had intelligence on a human trafficker that was moving children across a border and they were specifically using those children to test bombs. Yet we have an entire government bureaucracy that spent billions of dollars fighting what is the illicit trade of legal commodities. Are these guys intimidated by that? I was like, dude, you're not going to catch me. We know what we're doing. We're smarter than you. They're thinking they're going to outsmart every single time. The reason that there are human trafficking victims is because there are human traffickers. So we don't need to spend all of our time focusing on, on rescuing victims. We need to focus on preventing victims by getting rid of human traffickers. My guest today may have one of the most interesting stories you've ever heard, but I'm going to tell you why I'm saying this, because we've had a lot of interesting people on Valley Cayman. So number one, he gets out of high school. While he's in high school, he doesn't want to attend high school because he likes surfing. So he finds out how to hack into the high school's attendance system and shows that he showed up all year long, but he went surfing. From there, he leads to going into the Air Force and becomes a pararescue, which pararescue is comparable to Navy SEAL. Then he goes into the CIA, cannot tell you how long it is, because I don't know how long it is, but it's several years he goes into the CIA. And then afterwards, he decides to get out to go fight human trafficking. And all along, he gets a call from Amazon and Vice saying, we want to do a story that's similar to your background, because everybody tells us, well, we're about to write you the closest thing to this person. That movie is Jack Ryan. With that being said, my guest today is Nick McKinley. Nick, how are you? Hey, doing well. Doing well, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you, man. I mean, when I saw your story and I said, uh, I, I can't find a lot of things on this guy. And then they said, well, that's the idea. You know, this the idea isn't to have a lot of stuff on the life that he lived. You know, sometimes you can't find a lot of stuff on him. But uh, going back to adults who didn't have the abilities and the intelligence that you had, can you tell us a little bit, how did you hack into the high school's attendance system? I think that's very critical info for us adults here. Yeah, so it was, uh, you and I are uh, about the same age. I believe you're, you're about a year older than me. And so, right, it's the 90s, and uh, the computer systems weren't quite what they what you would think they were. There's still a lot of, like, fill in the bubble, right, put it in the machine. Uh, well, it turns out that you're the same, you're, you're the same bubble in the same sheet every single day. So if you just make sure that that little sensor is covered up, when those sheets get fed in, it shows that you're there. Uh, and with the, with the help of a help of a friend who worked in the worked in the front office, and, and it was skiing, not surfing, actually. I, so I grew up in Montana. So I grew up in Montana. Not not a lot of surfing in Montana. That makes sense. There's not the beach there. They don't have a fascinating beach in Montana. I've not seen it at least. No, no, uh, lots of lots of rocks on some really cold lakes. Yes, I have friends who live in Montana, and they swear by it. They swear by how amazing Montana is. So, okay, I mean, uh, uh, your story, obviously, it's, you know, a lot of different uh, lives that you've lived and what you've done. But so you get out of school, you go into pararescue, you have a lot of experience there. Take me from pararescue 
to wanting to become a CIA agent? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Was there somebody that put an award for you? How did that whole process take place? So they actually called me. I, when you're, when you're fair, right? common, by the way, is it common that they call you? I think that's relatively common, uh, especially with the wars kicking off the way that they were. You know, uh, contrary to what the the movies show, CIA is not is not a bunch of shooters running around picking locks and climbing up the sides of buildings. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong; there are people who do that. But the the kinetic side, uh, right? So the parts of the CIA where you have to take physical fitness evaluation and annual shooting evaluations, you know, that is a very 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 small group of people within. But it's a large government agency. And when the CIA found itself at war, multiple continents, within dozens of countries, it didn't have enough people who could operate in those types of environments. So it started poaching from the military special ops community. And that's, uh, that's how I got involved. Was that pretty common? Like, did you see other friends that also got recruited or no? Oh, it's very common. Very common. I was, I was the first... I was the first person with a pararescue background to become a staff officer. Okay. But as far as um, what I like to just call, you know, the guys on the team, which is where I started, oh, that was incredibly common. Uh, most of my teams, if not all of them, were comprised of uh, military special operators who, who were now working uh, working for the CIA. Okay. And, and when you got recruited, did you also say you may want to call Johnny or Bobby or Larry because... He may also be good, or is it more or less you call them and recruit? How does the recruiting process work? So both, I uh, both directions, right? I mean, you don't want to don't want to set your buddy up for some phone call from some random number and him, you, you know, think it think it's a spam call and, and miss the miss a great opportunity. So a number of my friends, I I brought with me from the pararescue teams and and had them uh, had them join me because they were they were great operators and great people to work with. Pararescue CIA, which job did you like more? Oh, that is a tough question. Pararescue was a lot more sporty. Um, uh, when, when, things, when things went wrong and you were getting called to work as a pararescue man, uh, it, was, it was sporty. Um, a, lot, a lot more jumping out of planes and, and whatnot. But the, the thing about the CIA that I really liked was was very little training time and that, that can also be a bad thing there was very little training time for the most part you were operational constantly we were so undermanned uh, you're spending 10 plus months a year out of the country bouncing around the most hostile environments on the planet and uh, there, there wasn't there wasn't time to go take three months to go take a three-month training cycle like you could in pararescue it was it was constantly on the road how do you how do you manage that in personal life at the same time? I mean, it's it's you know my buddy I talked to you about uh, you who was also special ops on what he did. You know he said you know he was on his third marriage wise. You know that that he went through. He said it's very difficult to hold it together when you're doing what you do because you're on the road ten months out of the year. You don't know where you're going to be at. How did you manage your personal life as a CIA agent or pararescue? Uh, so my first marriage uh, ended in a ball of flames. Uh, I mean, it was, yeah, it, was, it wasn't good. Uh, so, so I could say that I actually didn't properly manage my, uh, my personal life. Professional life was on a rocket ship. Uh, personal life was an absolute disaster. And 
so uh, when I joined the agency, they told me, uh, you know, they said, you know, are you sure you want to do this? The unit you're going into has an 86% divorce rate. And of course, the mindset of, of people like us is that, oh, well, that's the other folks. That's not going to be me. Yeah. Right? Everything I've done to this point in life, I mean, you, you know, there was an 8% chance I was going to become a pararescue. 1% chance I was going to um, get into the agency. Did it. So, 14% chance of making a marriage work? I like those odds. Uh, yeah, that didn't work out well for me. So, uh, so you don't. And, and then when I was, uh, I was dating my now wife, um, we, we got married after I left the agency. Uh, one six-month period where she saw me for about three days in six months, like physically saw me for about three days in six months. And, and for the first majority of that, I was actually under a cover. So it wasn't until she came to me and said, you know, are you a drug dealer? You know, what's going on? Because this just doesn't make sense. And I'd already been authorized by the agency to break cover and, and tell her, you know, where, you know, where I was, um, or not necessarily where I was, but what I was doing. I, I got to tell you, I mean, it's, please don't take this as uh, personally, but, you know, I'm about to judge you a little bit, if that's okay with you. When I'm looking at you, you look like uh, one of four professions, okay? You either look like a drug dealer, you look like a hitman, you look like a CIA agent, or you look like Ben Affleck's character from the movie Accountant. Like, you look like you're somebody that you shouldn't mess with. Your eyes have a lot of fire in them, like you're calculating and studying every move of the opponent. You just look like that guy. So, I, I, I don't know if that's an edge or not, but you have a certain look about yourself that uh, maybe was fitting for you to do what you did as a CIA agent. So funny uh, that you say that because the first time I did an undercover operation, I was going through a Middle Eastern country and I was flying civilian and they had a, one of their intelligence agents just sitting there watching people get off the plane. And as soon as I got off the plane, the guy stood up and walked up to me and said, excuse me, sir, would you follow me? And showed me a badge and and, uh, you know, what are you doing? And I, you know, fed him my story. And he said, that's great. Uh, you have a 26 hour layover before your next, uh, before your next flight. You can't leave the airport. Uh, well, luckily the airport had a, had a Starbucks, which had about the only padded chair in the whole, in the whole airport. So I sat there, uh, while their security guys just sat there smoking cigarettes, watching me. Uh, I didn't want to go to sleep. That didn't seem like that could go, that could go well for me. So, so yeah, that, that look. Doesn't really help you out all that much, but it's also really difficult to get rid of. You know what's crazy? The, the, while we're talking about the guy that's the special ops guy, he's calling me right now. You know when's the last time I talked to this guy? A long time ago. He's calling me right now. How random is this that he's calling me right now? Anyways, I'm not going to pick up because it'll freak him out thinking like we're up to something with him. So I don't want to spook him even more. Uh, but uh, so let, let's go through the process. Okay, so you got air rescue, CIA, then human trafficking. So, mm -hmm. so make the connection between CIA to wanting to go, like what events happened, what did you see, what bothered you, what annoyed you, what inspired you to say, this is what I want to do moving forward. How did that take place? It's not what I wanted to do moving forward. It's what, it was my duty to do this moving forward because this isn't the human trafficking issue is something that once you really understand it and you understand what's going on you can't not do something right as William Wilberforce said you can't look away and so it was a, a sequence of events over a period of about a little over seven years 
but it really culminated. I was in Lashkar, Afghanistan, uh, working for various government bureaucracies, and we had uh, what I like to call smoking gun intelligence. Uh, I was a staff officer working with a JSOC, JSOC counterpart, uh, Joint Special Operations Command counterpart, and we had intelligence on a human trafficker that was moving children across a border, and they were specifically using those children to test bombs. A video of this. So this, this became very, very uh, emotionally charged issue for us. Moving and, children to test bombs? Yeah, to test bombs. What does that mean? Uh, he was he was building pressure plates um, out of uh, materials that you would find at a junkyard. I, I don't want to say exactly what it was and how he was doing it, but he was building pressure plates, and he wanted to make sure that those pressure plates would um, would go off if a human stepped on them. But they, he didn't want a, a dog or a cat or somebody, to, uh, you know detonate his bomb and so as he was testing these he was he was using he was using young boys uh and and would literally have them go walk around in a field where he had these pressure plates buried and once uh you know to, to see to see if they worked and you personally witnessed it uh we we had video of it yes so he wrote up we wrote up the intel. Uh, we had, uh, uh, we had. Nobody, nobody really cared. Everybody thought, oh, this is very sad, but, but nobody really cared, and that made me curious uh, in a in a bad way almost, right? And so when you have that level of security clearance, right? If you work at CIA, you have the highest security clearance you can get. Uh, TSSCI with a full-scope poly, uh, and there's nothing that's off limits to you. So I got on the computer system and started looking for that magic red door of competence that was fighting human trafficking. But what I learned over a period of years, uh, you know, digging around in classified systems and talking to everybody I knew, and you know a bunch of special ops guys, run this experiment yourself. Ask them how many operations they've ever done that involve going after a human tra trafficker. What you'll find is that they'll tell you none. There's a bomb maker who maybe was also selling kids on the side, or a drug dealer who also was, was moving people. But as far as going after somebody because they were enslaving humans, all I know were special ops guys, and I couldn't find a single one who could tell me that they'd done an operation against a human trafficker. And then, fast forward a little bit. Why, look not, at, why, why not, though? Not a presidential reporting requirement. So, at the end of the day, everybody who works in the government is just a soldier doing what the, the bureaucracy at the top, what the administration in charge says to do. And, and, and let me ask you a question. Uh, you're, uh, you're in Texas, correct? I'm in Florida now. I just moved here three weeks ago. But I have an office in the, my headquarters is in Dallas, Texas. My headquarters is in Dallas, Texas, right, on, uh, right on Oklahoma Maple. Okay. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, so we have a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Most people in Texas in their office have alcohol, tobacco, and firearms within arm's reach. Uh, probably Florida too. Uh, yet we have an entire government bureaucracy that we spend billions of dollars fighting what is the illicit trade of legal commodities. 
The Drug Enforcement Agency. 90% of drugs are legal. More and more drugs are becoming legal, yet we have an entire government bureaucracy that spends tens of billions of dollars a year fighting the illicit sale of legal commodities. 13th Amendment makes 100% of slavery, because that's what we're talking about, right? Human trafficking is just a very, very, very cushy word for slavery. 100% of slavery is illegal, but who's got the ball on that issue? Who actually does, though? I mean, uh, who, who does have the ball on that? So the Department of Justice, uh, great, you know, great agents doing what they can. There's not enough of them. Uh, you've got Department of Homeland Security. They they try to do some work around human trafficking, but Department of Homeland Security is very politicized. Uh, right now, they've got handcuffs on them on this issue. Uh, you've got state and local law enforcement are really the ones who do the major majority of the heavy lifting. Uh, we were just involved in the human trafficking task force uh, at the Super Bowl. Multiple human traffickers arrested, multiple victims freed. The major majority of the agents we were working with were state and local. Right? They were county sheriff's deputies. They were local police uh, who, were, who were doing this work. Yet there's no intelligence center that ties all these people together, ties all these cases together. There's no software platform uh, that becomes the easy button for fighting human trafficking, right? Because a law enforcement officer can't go put handcuffs on a bad guy and start doing intelligence work on a computer at the same time. So all I did was say, well, this is a problem. Still it down to its foundational principles, which are primarily academic, right? It's important that we remove the emotion from this issue and look at it for what it is. He said, well, this is a lot like terrorism and fighting narcotics overseas, which, quite frankly, the taxpayers should be very proud of the government and the people who are fighting terrorism because we're, we're arguably the best in the world at it. And if, if the, the process that we've learned over 20 years of war works for fighting terrorism, why won't it work for human trafficking? That's the thesis. And so in 2015, I started Deliver Fund specifically to go after that problem and take that counterterrorism methodology, turn it into counter-human trafficking, and it, it's been working uh, beyond uh, our wildest imaginations of, of, of how, how well it could have worked, and we're just getting warmed up. I, I want to I come to your system. I'll come, come back to the system of what you guys do. I saw an article here. I almost didn't believe it. I said, I'm going to ask uh, and make and see what you're going to say about it. This is from a year and a half ago. Business Insider wrote an article, 20 Staggering Facts About Human Trafficking in the U.S. First one was, human trafficking wasn't illegal, meaning it was legal until 2020. The Trafficking Victims Protection Act was passed, which made it a federal crime. Then, President George W. Bush signing the William Wilberforce Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act of 2008. What does that mean, human trafficking wasn't illegal until 2000? Well, that, that's a little bit of, uh, of some clickbait. So, so it's always been illegal. It's just been called other things, right? Such as? Um, so... Uh, uh, it was usually prosecuted under the Mann Act or pimping and pandering or what we what we look at at these at these uh, at these uh, kind of prostitution, commercial sex related uh, charges, right? So you'd have a human trafficking victim 
who we have two human trafficking victims who, who work for us at Deliver Fund, um, and they'll tell you that every time they got into contact with law enforcement, they looked at them as prostitutes. They were being forced to do what they were doing. Um, and so all the Trafficking Victim Protection Act did was put a wrapper on what was actually happening. So uh, it, it defined what human trafficking was. So it's not that human trafficking was legal, right? It's still a crime to force somebody to do something. It's just we didn't have it all packaged up into one law. Uh, and so the Trafficking Victim Protection Act said that to distill down the language, uh, you are guilty of human trafficking if you are controlling somebody and forcing them to work for your economic benefit or the economic benefit of somebody other than themselves, and you're controlling them through force, fraud, or coercion. What we learned in doing this work is that it actually, it always starts with fraud. Rarely does this start with force or, or coercion. It usually almost always starts with fraud and then becomes force or coercion as the method of control once once they've defrauded the individual. But what does that mean? Once they've defrauded the individual, what, what does that mean? So let's take a case of labor trafficking. Uh, you get... Uh, no, young girl from Vietnam uh, answers an ad in, uh, you know, Ho Chi Minh City for uh, nannies in the United States. And she thinks she's going to come over here and, and be a nanny for some wealthy family. And they interview her and make her think all of this. And then they get her over here. They take her passport and they stick her in an apartment brothel in New York. Uh, that's, that's what I mean by fraud. Uh, we saw the same thing out of Eastern Europe. There were uh, nurses uh, who were being recruited out of Eastern Europe and, uh, and, and the Balkans area as well. And they were bringing them over here, telling them they were going to be nurses in the United States. Put their passports, stuck them in a uh, apartment brothel. Uh, and then you have, even here in the United States, the major majority of human trafficking victims are, are U.S. citizens. They're being trafficked by U.S. citizens and sold to U.S. citizens, right? This is a U.S. problem. Uh, so you get a, a young girl at high school, friends the older guy that she meets at the mall, he showers her with gifts, gains her trust. And then finally gets her to a party, drugs her, you can use your imagination from there, and now she's, you know, psychologically uh, destroyed, and he's got control of her for life. Take so, um, I mean, just thinking about it, it's, uh, you know, some movies do a good job painting the picture of what happens with this. I think even recently, one of them was Rambo. I, I, I never thought the direction of the story would have gone with Rambo was about human trafficking. I don't know if you saw the movie, Ram oh, you're not a movie guy, just really. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see yeah, it. it. The movie was uh, about human trafficking and what happened to his niece. Uh, it was Sly had to do, go out there and try to save her, but then it was too late because that drugged her way too much that she couldn't make it. Uh, $150 billion out of your industry. It's a pretty big industry, $150 billion out of your industry. When I see stats different places, $99 billion, $150 billion global, all these numbers, what is the business model human trafficking that's attracting so many people to want to go do it profits that's 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 it. this is this is strictly a money play for these human traffickers um it, it's a very low risk right now we've been we've been increasing the risk but it's very low risk uh you know if, if you're moving a kilo of cocaine a drug dog can pick that can, can pick that up we have sensors that can pick that up 
they're moving uh, some scantily clad girls in the back of a car and you're maintaining the speed limits and your brake lights are good, um, nobody knows that you're moving slaves. And so, I mean, imagine if all of your employees, you didn't have to pay them. Well, what just happened to your profit margins? And, and so that's why that's why they're doing this is it's just sheer slavery. It's an uh, predominantly there is forced labor that happens in the United States, but the predominant business model is commercial sex. At the end of the day, that's just the type of labor that the human trafficker is selling. Uh, and so some some woman that and, and it's also it, it touches um, the LGBTQ community. It touches touches all these vulnerable populations, they are exploiting these people, these human traffickers are exploiting these people by making them work, not paying them. So their, their, their profit margins are essentially, you know, 80, 90, 95%. What is the, uh, uh, have you guys noticed a pattern or a trend of a human traffic curve? So somebody who is doing it, what is a typical pattern? Are you noticing a consistency with a pattern, or is it just a criminal? That's all it is. They just kind of want to make money. Any kind of patterns you guys have found? Yes. Uh, so we we build our own software. Uh, we, we have our own data collection, and we, we have those patterns. We actually sit on top of the largest human trafficking database in existence, the largest and cleanest. Uh, we've got over 70 law enforcement agencies around the United States that are all kind of working together on this database. And so what that, what that means is we've been able to take this very, very clean data and start analyzing it for patterns. And now we're getting to the point where our software is actually just going to be able to be, actually can bring human trafficking to our attention. So we know exactly how they work. And really, they're a healy seal. I, I talk about this on, on other podcasts, and people say, well, Nick, how can you talk about what you're doing? Don't you need to be secret about it? Nope, I don't. Because if, if your business model is that you need to be secretive about something, well, that's not scalable, and that's, that's not going to work. Human uh, tractors have to advertise. Customers want to find you know, a date for the night, so to speak. Right? That's, usually, the customers think it's prostitution. Uh, and they, they want to find that girl, they go to the internet. That's where this is all advertised. Because if they put the girl on the street, law enforcement can find it. Right? Law enforcement has the right to go approach her and, and talk to her. She might rat the trafficker out. So it's a lot easier to keep her locked into a locked in a hotel room and advertise her online. There's there's dozens of websites online. I mean, you could you could get to these websites if you know where you're going. This is not in the deep and dark web. This is the front-facing internet. Uh, the big famous one that everybody was aware of uh, that the DOJ shook down was Backpage.com, uh, and so you go to those you go to those websites, you schedule a date with a girl. Uh, there's a human trafficker who's advertising that girl online, and and the transaction happens. So that's the Achilles heel of of the whole human trafficking market in the in the United States is that it's predominantly online, and so. If you're online, that means you're leaving a trail. We're really good at at, at uh, chasing down those trails and seeing where they lead. I just looked at Backpage.com. Founder Michael Lacey. Who was Michael Lacey? Uh, he is currently uh, under house arrest. Um, he was actually uh, so the Village Voice 
which was a publication out of New York, right, from the 70s, I think, um, they had the back page, when the back page was, right, it was a lot of your, uh, your prostitution, massage parlors, a lot of human trafficking, uh, and then they took, they took that back page of the newspaper and took it online and started selling $1 advertisements um, to people who were predominantly engaged in the commercial sex industry. And uh, everybody, uh, their, their whole C-suite was arrested. They all pled guilty. Uh, Michael Including Lacey, himself? Uh, no, Michael Lacey and I um, can't remember the other founder's name off the top of my head, but they're fighting the charges because they're old. Um, and you know, they're, they're going to come out of prison in a pine box if, uh, if they get convicted or should we say when they get convicted. So they are, how did, how did, how did the law enforcement find out that Backpage was doing this behind closed doors? Uh, we, we decided, we deliver fund decided to make Backpage our hobby. Uh, <laughs> oh, so you did that. You went after Backpage cause I see 2018 and you've been around for six years. So. We were uh, we were one of many many members of a of a team. Uh, the 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 real credit goes to federal law enforcement and uh, and actually uh, Texas AG's office. They did a phenomenal job. Uh, there's some law enforcement in Arizona that was working the case as well. But it came, when it came to work, passing that off, uh, we did uh, we did a lion. Did they know that human trafficking was taking place and they kind of looked the other way? Is that what the challenge was? Yes, they absolutely know that. How did they know that? Because it's egregious. Uh, I mean, and any 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 person who was looking at what was happening uh, on their platform. Uh, I mean, they, they knew what was happening. And, and the DOJ actually has communications. If you research the back, back page case, you'll find that's why they pled guilty is because they were literally talking about it on their, on their corporate communications. Uh, so they have the servers. They have everything that they were talking about. And they have them talking about the fact that they knew this was happening. Um, and they were, they, they were, to give you an example of the kind of thing that was happening there, there was a, uh, a, a 12-year-old girl who was advertised by a human trafficker on Backpage, right? So you could tell, and there was, along with a photo, um, and he put her age as 12 years old. Well, Backpage's moderators changed the age to 18 and then let the ad go on. Absolutely evil. So, so I'm looking at alternative to Backpage. So I'm assuming you target Craigslist.com, OLX, Facebook, Kiji, Free Ads. What, what are the websites you target that can do exactly what Backpage did? Uh, so I'm not going to give the names of the, of the uh, websites that we target actively. Uh, these websites are very profitable, and I'm not interested in. Uh, I'm not I'm interested shot in, up. Okay. in that fight. Um, and and more importantly. Uh, People who don't know where to go, telling them where to go. Uh, but there's uh, there's about 32 sites right now that are are the primary sites where the source data comes from, uh, and we we are actively uh, we're actively collecting from all of those sites. So let me ask you this: When you're dealing with a company that say they don't know that that is taking place, and then they find out based on the proof you show, because I think your model isn't you go attack them. Your model is you go team up with the 70 or 60 law enforcement organization that you work with. You no longer kick the doors down. You 
give the intel to those to go kick the doors down. I think if, after doing some research on your business model, that's your business model, right? Correct. Okay, so, so you find out a company that's a real company, they have somebody who's a human trafficker leveraging the, uh, the, the clientele, the traffic that's coming to that website. Do you then contact them and have the business work with you to get more of that data for you to pass down to law enforcement? Like, do the companies now help become a teammate with you? That's always the first, uh, that's always the first place that we start. Um, so we have very, very uh, publicly publicly traded companies that we work with to help them keep human traffickers off of their platform. A lot of these websites, they specifically moved their business operations overseas into non-friendly, non-U.S. or uh, non-friendly, non-extradition U.S. country or, uh, uh, countries, so that they're not subject to U.S. jurisdiction Same guidelines. That's kind of part of the problem. So, how do you battle that? Right now, there's nothing we can really do on that. Um, we we have a way of uh, of diluting their market, uh, which we don't talk about publicly, to make it so that it just complicates their business. Right? It just it just makes it so that the uh, the trafficker can never quite get his product in front of the customer, and the customer can never quite find a real product. So we have ways of, of complicating that a little bit. Uh, but primarily, the way that the way that we deal with that is uh, is by getting these human traffickers arrested. And that's that's one one key thing that we need to focus on is in order to have a human trafficking victim, which is the reason we're doing this, right? Uh, human traffickers are bad people. They're going to do bad things. Um, there's nothing Nick can do about that. However, they are, they're exploiting people. They're harming children. And so the reason that there are human trafficking victims is because there are human traffickers. So we don't need to spend all of our time focusing on, on rescuing victims. We need to focus on preventing victims by getting rid of human traffickers. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah that, that 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 makes sense. And uh, so so sometimes when you're you guys have to wrestle with pigs quite often, right? Yourself, like you you have to get dirty yourself in order for you to be able to uh, make their life a living hell. I know the, I know you can't say yes or not, but your world is not like hey, let's take the proper route and you know let's. Morning, Doctor. What happened to this dog, CIA guy? <clears throat> Might be something money maker. Work that we put together was not admissible in court, right? And and everything that we do is admissible in court. We're open to discovery. It's uh, it's a very very above board operation. Uh, but what we do is we infiltrate their communications. Uh, and I hope there are doctors out there right now listening to that and wondering whether or not that person they're communicating with online is actually one of my employees. Uh, we infiltrate their communications where they're, they're, they're sharing best practices. They're, um, they're, they literally will, will coordinate with each other to say, hey, you know, the Super Bowl is coming to my town. Um, I've only got three girls. I need, I need other guys to come down and bring more girls so that we can say this what is a market opportunity for that. Uh, and that's a, a, a key differentiator in the way that we fight human trafficking is we fight it as a market. We fight it through economics. 
say in your business and in my other business, I'm always trying to reduce risk, right? We're always trying to mitigate it. What our whole, what we do at Deliver Fund is we increase market risk traffickers to cut into their profit margins and make it harder for them to do business. Yeah, but human traffickers kind of like, uh, obviously, you'll see where I'm going with this. Uh, uh, Nick, only 7% of people are going to graduate from pararescue. Watch me do it. Only 1% is going to become a CIA. Watch me do it. 86%, which is only 14% of people that do what you're doing right now, their marriage ends up at a divorce. Oh, if I beat 7% and 1%, I'm going to beat 14%. That's not a problem. I got it, right? You're on the road all the time. These guys... Yeah, they're going, hey, you're not going to you. We know what we're doing. We're smarter than you. They're thinking they're going to outsmart you every single time. Because, no. And, and here's, here's in this, you know what I'm saying, right? You know what? Yeah, no, okay. Absolutely. There's a misconception about human trafficking, right? People will say that human trafficking is the largest growing criminal enterprise. It's just not true. Uh, narcotics and guns, especially with all the wars going on around the world, uh, narcotics and guns are you know, illegal gun running is, is hands down the largest illicit commodities. Uh, the next is uh, people will say is we can actually make more money from uh, you know from selling human trafficking victims than you can from narcotics or guns. That is also not true because you can have a shipping container full of cocaine or AKs sitting in a port somewhere, and you can leave it there for two years, and those the drugs and the guns are worth just as much as they were uh, when you put that container there. You can't do that with people. Right? People have People require overhead. You have to house them. You have to feed them. You have to keep them in at least good enough condition so that customers want to spend some time with them. Uh, and that's 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 the Achilles heel that cuts into the profit margins of, of human traffickers. And so most of your smart criminals, I mean, your the people who would be curing cancer were they not criminals. Um, most of them are into some type of organized crime around either narcotics or guns or you know, ripping off banks, credit card fraud, those types of things. Actually, uh, in a, there are exceptions to this rule, but it's not your smartest criminals who are human traffickers. There's also a piece here, you know, I, I saw doing research that you, you've interviewed many members of, of, of the mob. I guess if you go ask them what they think about human trafficking, they're going to say, that's over the line. If we found somebody doing that in our organization, they were going to end up in a box. Um, and that's what happens with a lot of these, these criminal enterprises, too, is, uh, you know, you'll have, you'll have uh, uh, you know, narcotics criminal enterprises who aren't, aren't going to allow their people to start harming children. So, so even within the criminal underworld, there's there's an ethic line when it comes to children that people won't cross. Oh, there's no question about it. Uh, and they even had a code, uh, La Cosa Nota, they wouldn't touch. This is so I those CIA people guy. Did, but that was part of their code as well. Uh, Talking so about how to get criminal, rid of okay. sex not trafficking. The criminals, meaning. They're not trying to play their, oh, I'm going to be the odds of 7%, 1%, 14%. So you're saying they're scared? Like, if you scare them, they run away like a little cat? Is it, are they, they scared criminals? Like, can you scare them away from the industry or no? No. Uh, so, most so, of them, this is all they know. 
So, business model, that's them. I'm, just, I'm not in your world, but I'm just thinking about it. So, it's Super Bowl, and these are the girls that are doing it. You know, they're coming in and, hey, customers, so people are gonna, they're gonna go online to get somebody, hey, I had one too many drinks, let me call somebody, how do I find somebody, hey, we got, so, the business model to go to the Super Bowl, to go find those guys, and call 100, 200, 300, 400 of them, and you send your guy to go meet with the girl, and then you tell the girl that you're willing to help them out and interrogate them to get a feel if they are working with somebody, and then you have them come with you. You can't get all 300 of them because they're scared for their lives that that, you know, individual, the relationship with the simple and the prostitute, and you know how that relationship is fear-based. Absolutely. Then you convince a percentage to go with you, and then you backtrack, giving them protection and safety, and through backtracking, you find out who it is, and then you go track them down, but at that point, they know that you've taken some of their people, so they're probably on the run. Is that part of the business model? At least not yours, because you're not the one that does it. You just give intel. Is that one part of the business model that the law enforcement does, or no? Yeah, so that's, that's exactly what law enforcement does. Uh, law enforcement, you know, gets in front of the girls, uh, because you gotta, you gotta have a witness. You gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have proof. Uh, gets in front of them and says, hey, you know, then usually, a lot of times using our intel, here's what we know about you. We know that you, you, and that girl over there are actually all connected, and we know that you're run by this guy. We know that he's sitting in a car in the parking lot. Um, all we need you to do is, is, Tell us that he's holding you against your will, and uh, and we got this. Or in many many cases, what what can happen is, uh, you know, the human trafficker is controlling the girl, so he'll go drop her off at, at whatever venue, and as as uh, as he's dropping her off, law enforcement swoops in and uh, and catches them together. So so you you do have those types of cases, but some of these are very very insidious. Uh, we had a case in the southwestern United States with girls on her own. So we thought she was a human trafficking victim. We're sure she was a human trafficking victim. And our analysts uh, are really, really good. Yet when the law enforcement wrapped her up, she was on her own. Well, after questioning her for about 20, 30 minutes, she broke down crying and the human trafficker had her baby and was threatening to hurt her baby and had her baby in another city. And that was the handle he was using to control her. Makes sense. What a way to hold somebody hostage. Um, so... Terrible. How much does the U.S. government, to, to, to fight what you guys are fighting, you can't do it with a couple million dollars. How, how much is the U.S. government putting behind this? Like, how much are they saying, we are going to fight human trafficking, and we're going to put up this much money? And go and help certain organizations to, you know, accelerate the process of eliminating, if not as much as we can, to get rid of human trafficking. <laughs> so the U.S. government spends less than a dollar for human trafficking victim globally. Globally, which is globally, it's a 20 to 40 million people globally. So you're telling me it's only 20 to 40 million dollars a year? Uh, the last numbers we had are that the U.S. government spends 22 million dollars a what? year fighting human trafficking, like specifically dedicated oh, wow. to fighting human trafficking. So, uh, so, so let me Trump ask you, why, uh, Biden? So you which, know, which president has been the most is it because it's an uncomfortable topic for presidents to campaign behind that no one wants to talk about because it's 
you know, it's a little bit of an There's uncomfortable a topic, you know, to talk about human trafficking. Why haven't presidents campaigned behind something like this? and made it an issue for people so to say, yeah, I think we need to put, I mean, right now we just did $1.9 trillion, about right? Okay, what's the big deal if you put $10 billion behind something like this? This is actually emotionally painful to parents <laughs> that lost their kid and they go through this. And, you know, when someone goes through this to get them back to living a normal life and rather than wanting to commit a suicide, the percentages yeah, are so high that very rarely do you get them back to being normal. It's a, very, it's a big fight that they have, and it takes years. It doesn't take three, six months, and many times it takes three, four, five years to get them back to saying, okay, this is not your fault. You didn't do this. It's okay. You got to move on. Why wouldn't the government want to fund this and put some money behind it? That's a great question, and we I don't have an answer involved. for that. Like, this is, is uh, this is such a problem, uh, and it, it kind of goes back to what I said uh, in the beginning. Like we have Katie whole Johnson. government bureaucracies that spend tens Dr. of billions of dollars to fight legal, the, the illicit sale of legal commodities. That we don't have a single government agency that is focused on this issue, and why? You know, why, when I was at the CIA, did we have this intelligence on a human trafficker in another country, and is there nowhere to send it? You know, why is why is Delta not being sent in to go take down, you know, major human traffickers overseas? Yeah, I mean, these, yeah, these are exactly. legitimate questions we right. need to be asking of yeah, our politicians and our policymakers to say, why is this not a priority? And, and, and human, or uh, politicians... Do campaign on this issue. I mean, if you if you look at it, they talk about it. But but show me the money. If, it, if it's if you're serious about it, right? The the uh, the Bible says where your where your where your treasure lies, there your heart will be also. Uh, but show me show me the money that we're actually spending. Uh, we've seen lots of bills come through saying that this much is going to be spent or that much is going to be spent, but they all go unfunded. So uh, how, how united are all of you on the private side, meaning uh, someone like you, a Tim Ballard, a, you know, uh, there's, there's, men, there's a good amount of you that are you guys all pretty united or is it a pretty competitive environment or is it all we're united because we're fighting the same fight? It's united. We're, we're fighting the same fight. Uh, you know, what we do at Deliver Fund, we're the only organization in the world that does what we do. Uh, and... You know, the, the other folks out there, be it International Justice Mission is a great example. You know, we work uh, we work closely with some of their folks. They're the only group that does what they do. National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is a phenomenal organization, right? A lot of people don't realize that actually is a private nonprofit that John Walsh started uh, around the missing kids issue. They, uh, we work very closely with them. Uh, and so, so... You you have all these various groups that kind of do different pieces of it. You know, one of the one of the key components so of the fight against human trafficking is the restoration. Not the government. You know, these are people who have started their started nonprofits to provide restoration services to uh, to human trafficking victims, uh, and so so it does get into this environment where you know, especially if you have people with really really good hearts no business experience or no business sense and they don't have the right business people wrapped around them. I've been incredibly blessed in that I've had big business brains 
you know, really come in and help us out, not only with money, but, but to show us where the potholes in the road are. And so on the restoration side, you have a lot of organizations that are just trying to do the right thing to help these victims, but they don't know how to do it in a repeatable, scalable way. Uh, so, so, so you and Tim, Tim Ballard have a relationship, like you guys do stuff together. No, no. I, as I understand it, they predominantly focus overseas. Um, you're more, you're more domestic. And overseas. No, we are, we are only domestic. But you're um, only domestic. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. So, you know, give us a, um, I mean, the, the, where I was going with this was the following. Where I was going with this is. How often have you guys gone in front of Congress and made a case? How often have you guys gone to D.C. and made a case? How often do you guys unite together and make a case? How often have you guys gone and gotten celebrities behind something like this to make a case? How often uh, have we, you know, rallied people if 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 uh, save the world, uh, uh, save, uh, uh, make it a better place to you and, uh, you know, the song back in the days. Right, uh, right. the, you know which one I'm talking about. I do. They don't want to get paid for it. They're just like, look, we're doing it for a good cause. And there are people that are willing to do that. Who, who's who's leading that today? I know I know. Uh, Ashton Kutcher did some stuff, and he was pretty active, and you can tell the pain when he was speaking about it. So I, do, I don't see this as a Democrat, Republican, or independent thing. I just see this as a, listen, Amen. this ain't politics. This is kids. Here it is, man. All you need to know to... Uh, 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 emotionally be connected to this 